Well, good morning, everybody. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, middle of the week, whatever it is. Um, we are delighted that you're here. Uh, I suspect that there are a number of people that are watching online this morning. Um, the bus company canceled our shuttles today uh, because of the ensuing winter storm that's coming. Uh, so we do apologize for you, but we do welcome you via the internet, and uh, we are glad that you are here. Let's stand together. We are in a, uh, our final installment on obscure Christmas texts, and that brings us to Isaiah chapter 60. And again, I do apologize um, because I, was, um, I made a mistake, and it says in our bulletin, uh, in the notes rather, not in the bulletin, in the notes that it's Isaiah 6, and it's actually Isaiah 60. And uh, it's a long text. There are 22 verses that we're going to read together, but of course, we have learned that the longer the text, the better we get at reading. So we're really going to get a chance to practice that. And the other thing that I want to say as we read through Isaiah chapter 60 this morning is this. <clears throat> During the um, Sunday between Christmas and New Year's, it is uh, appropriate to talk not just about the first advent, the first coming of Jesus at Christmas, but also to talk about the fact that he is coming again in a second coming. And as we read through Isaiah chapter 60, there's three things I want you to note for the integrity of the text. The first one is this, that Isaiah, of course, is writing in his time at 700 B.C., in his time. And that text applies to him and to his time. But also he's talking about the coming, the first coming of Jesus. And uh, we'll talk about that and read about that when we uh, uh, talk about the wise men, the magi. And then the third thing in verses 8 to 22, he talks about the second coming of Jesus. And all of these are woven into Isaiah chapter 60. And so this is what it says. I'm reading the green, you're reading the white. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and the nations shall come to your light, and the kings and kings to the brightness of your rising." Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult, because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah, all those from Sheba shall come, and they shall bring gold and frankincense, and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Gadar shall be gathered to you, the rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will, beautiful, I will beautify my beautiful house." Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their windows? For the coastlands shall hope for me, the ships of Tarshish first, to bring your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of the Lord your God 
and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall never be Sorry, your gates shall be open continually. Day and night they shall not be shut. That people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. For the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid west. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, and the pine to beautify the place of my sanctuary, and I will make place of my feet glorious. The sons of those who afflicted you shall come bending low to you, and all those who despise you shall bow down at your feet, and they shall call you the city of the Lord, the Zion of the Holy One of Israel, whereas you have been forsaken and hated With no one passing through, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. You shall suck the milk of nations, you shall nurse at the breast of kings, and you shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. Instead of bronze, I will give gold, and instead of iron, I will bring silver, instead of wood, bronze, instead of stones, iron. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. Violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your wall salvation and your gates praise. The sun shall no more, the sun shall be no more your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Your people shall all be righteous. They shall possess the land forever. The branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. The least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will hasten it. Beautiful. Well done. Long text, though, right? Long text. Let's pray together. Father, we give you praise and thanks today for your love that you have shown so extravagantly, so generously in, through, and as Jesus Christ. And Lord, for the Holy Spirit that takes everything that you've accomplished in Jesus and makes it possible and available and applicable in our lives. And so, Lord, we ask now that that same Holy Spirit would give us a voice to speak, ears to hear, minds to comprehend, hearts to understand. And as we go out from this place, from this property, from this building, from this facility, and we go out into our lives, into our marriages and our families, our relationships, Lord, into the places where we work and where we go to school and where we recreate and where we get our services. We pray that that same spirit of Jesus would help us to live out what it means to be the disciples of Jesus Christ, to be Christians, to be Christ followers in practical, meaningful ways And we ask this, of course, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. 
<clears throat> Isaiah, like the disciple John in the New Testament, he loves to contrast light and darkness. Isaiah loves to dazzle us, his readers, with images of electromagnetic radiation. Light. But so does God. So does God. It has been suggested that there is really no such thing as darkness. It has been suggested that darkness is just the reality of the absence of light. Now, we know that there are numerous sources of light. The sun, flame, light bulbs. But there is another source of light that Isaiah is referring to, and it is the light of the glory of the Lord. Now, this light, the glory of the Lord, was, was really resided first in the tabernacle in the wilderness, and then, of course, when Solomon built the temple, in the temple, and then ultimately in the person of Jesus Christ. Mark's gospel gives us a glimpse of the glory of the Lord in Jesus Christ when he tells us about the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. He says, and he was, Jesus, was transfigured before them and his clothes became radiant, intensely white as no one on earth could bleach them. But my favorite, my favorite is the experience of John in the book of Revelation where he writes these words. He says, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is Jesus. And then John goes on to say, he says this, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Is it any wonder at the glory of the Lord in the face of Jesus Christ? But there's also this. God, through Isaiah, gives us two commands. He says to us in verse one, he says, arise and shine, and the reason why he tells us that is because arise and shine is God's wake-up call to them then and to us now. It's like the morning sun after a long winter's night. It is a new day and God is calling them then and us now to attention, to wake up, to perk up, to pay attention. And the reason is this, because your light has come. There is a lot of darkness in our world, is there not? There's a lot of darkness in our, in our world. A lot of people experience despondency and discouragement and disappointment. And as that is true now, it was true in Isaiah's time, it was true in Jesus' time, but something spectacular has happened, Isaiah tells us. He tells us that for a long, long time, God promised that Jesus would come, and he did. And Jesus came as a helpless baby. He lived as a Jew among Jews in Palestine, but at the same time, he was and is the light of the glory of God. 
Now, Isaiah picks this up again in a very familiar Christmas text that, that we know in Isaiah chapter 9, 2, and Matthew mirrors it in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, where Isaiah says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. And those who dwell in the land, a deep shadow on them has light shone. So God saw to it that Jesus Christ would attract attention even at his birth. But there's this. You and me, us. We human beings are unique in that we are the most intelligent of all forms of life. And we were created uniquely in terms of moral sensitivity and spirituality. We were meant to live a life in obedience and faithfulness and relationship to God. But instead, we chose our own way of division, of disobedience, and of unfaithfulness. And to add to that, not only were we created unique among all life forms, but we are uniquely spiritual beings. But, as Stuart Briscoe has said, we seem to be at sea as to where we are trying to get. Many have seen the light and the truth, but decline to follow it. Some people have met Jesus, but they will not believe some cannot believe, and we end up trading light for darkness. But Isaiah tells us that Jesus came to switch us on again. And this, our light has come, the glory of the Lord has shone upon them and upon us in the person of Jesus Christ. Light is so significant and so prevalent and so important during Christmas. But, as it was then, so it is now. Many who saw the star, the light, over Bethlehem, but only a few wise men followed it. That brings us then to verses 6 and 7 of our text in Isaiah 60, the entourage from the east. Now, most of us, if not all of us, know about the tradition of the wise men or the magi. For instance, we have decided that there were three of them. But the Bible doesn't say that at all. Matter of fact, the Bible tells us here in Isaiah chapter 60 that a multitude of camels shall cover the land. So we do not know their number. We do not know who they were. Um, a saint by the name of St. Bebe in the 8th century actually decided to give them the three a name. He called them Melchor and Casper, not Casper the ghost, Gasper, and Belshazzar. We've also included them in the nativity scene at the stable. But we know that they weren't there. We know that the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 2, 11, tells us that they didn't come to the stable 
they came to a house. Now, it really doesn't matter and it's not a big deal that we portray them at the stable scene, but the truth is, biblically, they weren't there. Matter of fact, most scholars tell us that they came to Bethlehem 18 months after Jesus was born, after the fact. And Matthew tells us that they came to a house, not to a stable. Matter of fact, Isaiah chapter 6 tells us that they came from, uh, they came from uh, Midian, they came from Ephah, they came from Sheba, which is uh, uh, today known as Yemen, and they brought gold and frankincense. And the Gospels do not tell us where they come from. The Gospels only tell us that they come from the East, as does all wise men. For those of you that don't get that, somebody will fill you in. <laughs> what we do know is this. This is what we do know about the wise men is that they ask the first question in the New Testament about Jesus. They ask, where is the one born king of the Jews? And that when they saw the light, they followed it to its logical conclusion. Now, we might also say this. At the time of the wise men, I mean, the star appeared in the sky. I suspect that the wise men, the magi, were not the only ones that saw it. But why is it that they were the only ones that followed it to its logical conclusion? Many would have seen it, but many did not follow it. And then, as now, Many people in our culture, in our world, have been shown the light of Jesus and have not followed it. Many of us have seen the light of Jesus and we have chosen to follow it. And the light, like the sun, shines on everyone. And we can either choose to sit in the sun or we can choose to sit in the cave. But our choice does not stop the sun from shining. It just means we decline the benefit of its light and its hope. And the last thing that Isaiah chapter 60 does is talk about this, future hope. Now, as I said at the beginning, it is important for us as the church, to not just celebrate and talk about the first coming of Jesus, the first advent of Christmas, but it is important for us to talk about the fact that Jesus is coming again. There is a second coming where Jesus is going to come and he is going to recreate and restore all things. But the problem is, is that we talk a lot about the first coming, but we don't talk much about the second coming of Jesus. And why the Bible talks so much about the second coming of Jesus, and one of the reasons why we talk about the second coming of Jesus during the celebration of the first coming of Jesus is this. As Christ followers, as people, we're to live in light of the fact that one of these days we are going to see Jesus. Either we are going to die, and as Pastor Kevin prayed in this prayer, none of us know what's ahead. 
I mean, just think about the last year, this past year in 2019, the things that have unfolded in our lives and in our world, we didn't anticipate those. So too, we will not be able to anticipate what will happen in 2020. The reality is that we're all gonna die sometimes and you know, we don't always live to long life. But the other thing is this, the other thing that we gotta keep in mind is that we need to live our lives in the light of the coming again of Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible tries to teach us. Somebody once said, until we're prepared to face death, we're not really prepared to live. And as Christians, we are called to live in light of the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. Eventually, we are going to see him, and it could be in 2020. Who knows? I don't know. Nobody knows that. But it doesn't matter whether he comes in 2020 or 2030 or 2040 or 2050. It really doesn't matter. The reality is you and I are called to live in the light of Jesus' return. Because when we live in the light of Jesus' return, that one day we are going to see him face to face and I am going to have to give an account for my life and you're going to have to give an account for your life. We're all going to have to give an account before him. When we live in light of that reality, it affects how we live today, presently, currently. And from the very beginning... The hope of the return of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Jesus, has always been the hope of the church from its very inception. We have sung about it. We have read about it. We have we searched the scriptures about it. And when we come to Isaiah chapter 60, verses 8 to 22, they're addressed to Israel, the nation, and we never can forget that because we need to hold to the integrity of the Bible of the biblical text. But they're also extended to us by extension because we are the church. We are the body of Christ. And Isaiah's question, Isaiah, so when we come to Isaiah, Isaiah gives us a number of parallels about the new Jerusalem. Now, Revelation chapters 20 and, uh, 21 and 22 talks about the new Jerusalem, the new creation that God is going to bring about. But Isaiah talks about it here in Isaiah chapter 60. So I want to give you five parallels that Isaiah talks about. First of all, he says this, the gates will always be open. He says, your gates shall be open continually day and night. They shall not be shut that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations and their kings led in procession. Do you know what Revelation says? Revelation says the exact same thing. Now, we have a hard time imagining a world without locks and without security, but where Jesus is king. Where Jesus is king, there will be no need for locks and for security because there will be no danger. Because this is what Isaiah says in verse 17. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. 
Violence shall no more be heard in your land. Devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. To put it in our language, peace serving as political leaders, righteousness as a police force, and instead of violence and destruction, there will be salvation and praise. The other thing that Isaiah parallels with the book of Revelation is this, that the new Jerusalem is gonna be a place of incredible beauty. He says in his text, he says, the glory of Lebanon shall come to you, the cypress, the plain, the pine, he's talking about trees, to beautify the place. Listen to what Revelation says. And the foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel, and the 12 gates were 12 pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold like transparent glass. And he says in chapter 22, and then I, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. But there's another thing that is gonna make it beautiful, and that is the presence of God. Isaiah says in verse 13, and God is speaking, he said, I will make the place of my feet glorious. In Revelation, he says, I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And then he says this, Isaiah says, the nations will be there. From every tribe, from every tongue, from every ethnicity, from every language. And we read that in verses 14 to 16 and Revelation says this. And they will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And then fifthly, Isaiah comes full circle and he ends where he begins and he says the glory of the Lord will be its light. The sun, he, re, he says in verse 19, shall be no more your light by name nor the brightness shall the moon give you light for the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun shall go down, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself, for the Lord will be an everlasting light and your days of mourning shall be ended. In the, right, in the book of Revelation, John said, I saw a holy city coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne and said, there will be no more death and no more crying and no more mourning. But listen to what he says in verse 21. Uh, sorry, in chapter 21. He says, and the city has no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of the Lord gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. And by its light will the nations walk. Isaiah is helping us to understand a couple of things. First of all, again, he's talking about his time, but he's talking about the first advent, talking about the magi and the wise men, and Jesus being the light of the glory of God. And then he closes out with reminding the people of God then and us now 
Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ is coming again. One of these days, I'm going to see him. Now, I think that I'm going to live for a long time yet. But nobody knows that. But I can guarantee you one way or the other, I'm going to see him. Are you? Are you ready? Someone said this, hope is hearing the music of the future and faith is the courage to dance to the music. What that means is simply this, is that when we keep in our minds the fact that Jesus is coming again, it affects how I live today my life, that I'm going to be held accountable. There's a poet, a Polish poet that I really enjoy, and his name is Czesław Milosz. And he lamented about Europe. And this is back in the middle of the 19, uh, sorry, in the middle of the 20th century, in the 1950s. He lamented that Europe had lost its awareness of three things. The awareness that death is a reality for us all. The awareness that there is an eternity beyond this life. And the awareness of the fact that there is a heaven and there is a hell. And he lamented the fact that those three realities no longer exist in the minds and the psyches of Europeans. And us in North America are not too far removed from that. Is that we live in such a way as if we're going to live forever, as if this world is all there is. So I want to read for you Milosh's poem that's called Second Space. And this is what he says. Second Space. How spacious the heavenly halls are. Approach them on aerial stairs. Above white clouds there are hanging gardens of paradise. A soul tears itself from the body and soars. It remembers that there is an up and there is a down. Have we really lost faith in that other space? Have they vanished forever, both heaven and hell? Without unearthly meadows, how to meet salvation? And where will the damned find suitable quarters? Let us weep. Lament the enormity of the loss. Let us swear, let us smear our faces with coal, loosen our hair. Let us implore that it be returned to us. That second space. The awareness that Jesus Christ is going to come again. The awareness that one of these days I'm going to die. The awareness that there is a heaven and there is a hell, there is an eternity. And this world is not all there is. And until we live in the light of the second coming of Jesus, until we live in the light of the fact that I am, you and I, we're going to face him that there is an eternity. 
we will never be able to live fully as Christians in the world. Because this world is not all there is. There is an eternity coming. I want us to close our eyes just for a moment. If you're watching online, I'd like you to close your eyes as well. And I want to just speak to two groups of people here. First of all, if you've never said yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, if you don't understand that the reason why Jesus came as a baby in a manger and grew up to be a, a young boy and a teenager and a young adult and a full-grown man was for the purpose of living a life as an example for us, but also as a substitute for us, but ultimately that he would bear the sins of the world, that he would bear my sins and your sins on the cross. And that through Jesus Christ, forgiveness is possible. And so if you have never said yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ, this last Sunday of 2019 would be a great time to do that. So if that's you, all you need to do is you need just to say, Lord, I don't understand it all, but I believe that Jesus died for my sins like he did for everybody else's. And I ask you to make that applicable in my life. And if you do that, and if you have done that, then why don't you send me an email or come and talk to me after service or give me a call sometime this week. And I'd love to talk to you about it and explain some more. That's the first group. But the second group is a group that I really want to talk to, and it's us. It's Christians. You and I who have already said yes to God's offer of love and forgiveness, and we already are Christ followers. We already are Christians. How many of us in the room, and I don't want anybody to raise their hand, how many of us online, that we've become so occupied and obsessed with the world we live in and our lives in this world that we often forget, it never comes into our mind during a day that there is an eternity that there is a heaven and a hell. There is a time and a place where we are going to stand in front of Jesus Christ. Christians, all over the room and watching online, how many days go by and we never think about the fact that this life isn't all there is? And we get caught up in the value systems of the world of what is success and what is important and what is valuable. So all over the room as Christians, I'm just gonna pause, let that hang there and I just wanna pray for us. Father, we thank you and praise you that forgiveness is available in Jesus Christ. And for all those, Lord, today that are saying yes to, for, to your offer of love and forgiveness in Jesus Christ for the very first time, Lord, as you welcome them into your family, 
Lord, that you would just shed your grace over them, that they would just feel the release of their sin, and that you would just fill them with your spirit, we pray. But Father, in this quiet moment, we who are your sons and daughters, we who are the children of God already, do we find ourselves in this moment being checked by the Holy Spirit? Do we find ourselves in this quiet moment being arrested by the Holy Spirit and having to admit that I have lost my way in living in the light of one day I'm going to see Jesus. That one day I'm going to stand before him either at the end of my life or at his coming. Lord, I ask for every person today in this room that days go by, sometimes weeks, months even, and there isn't the slightest awareness that this world is not our home, that we're just passing through. Father, I ask now in this moment that the Holy Spirit would just attend unto our hearts, unto our lives, as we are quiet before you in this moment. Father, we ask, forgive us. Forgive us for losing sight. Forgive us for losing our way. Forgive us for being neglectful and mindless. And may today this be a midpoint correction. And we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.